Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, good evening, welcome to this week's Man in the Post Extra Time as part of the World Football Index. Uh, my name is Chris, I'm your host as ever, uh, and with me I've got Alex. Good evening. How are you? I'm super, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, thank you very much. Are you over Daisy Lowe? <sighs> Does one ever get over Daisy Lowe? Uh, I did because I'm not really a massive, I wasn't a fan of hers on um, Strictly. You weren't really a fan of hers, generally. No, I wasn't really. I do did fail to see what you'd seen her. I the everything. She's got massive shoulders and like a bloke's voice. What? Yeah, but that's because she's a smoker and smoking is cool. She's a dody smoker. I say that because I'm a smoker as well, so it's <laughs> smoking's cool. But uh, no, I think she's. I mean, she's close to being my ideal woman. Is she? Yeah. Honestly, yeah. if Maria Sharapova goes in Strictly, then I'll probably feel your pain that you feel now. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, you know, this is the willowy blonde versus the, the, the curvy, I don't know what you, dark head. Is there a word for dark head in the same way? I don't know. Must be. The six there foot must... six Russian blonde whose legs could crush you, your, your head. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to go, imagine that. That's like uh, Zenia on a top, although obviously she had more of a Daisy Low hairstyle. But yeah, God, imagine, yeah. Your, imagine your head crushed to death between those thighs. I, I can't. No, I, I not <laughs> not and maintain any sort of focus on this podcast. <laughs> yes, that's true. We're recording. It's actually a football podcast, isn't it? And we're recording because I keep forgetting. Yes, indeed. Um, right, well, this week we're going to be talking about um, some of the friendlies that happened post-weekend. Uh, we'll pop around the world a little bit to see how people have been getting on with their qualifications. And we'll be talking about whether Steven Gerrard could be a tracksuit or a shirt and tie manager, and then some Premier League fixtures. So, first of all, England to Spain to. Um, Adam Alana and Jamie Vardy scored for England uh, before... Liverpool legend Ignani Aspas scored in the 89th minute and then a 96th minute equaliser by Isco. Mm. Gareth Southgate must have thought his evening's work was done by about 20 past nine. Yeah, I mean, I think friendlies, they are friendly. I mean, it's sort of, it's very difficult to, to kind of gauge anything from this, isn't it? And of course, with Southgate, looking like the heir apparent to Sam Allardyce, people sort of want to see, you know, is it dovetailing with this England DNA stuff of which we hear so much? And can we tell what sort of philosophy he's going to have as a manager and so on and so forth? And and I think friendlies are, are really the last place to, to try and make those judgments. Well, um, two wins and two draws, isn't he? Yeah. And I mean, look, there's, I don't think there's any doubting that, that he's a, a decent manager. Um, I think, crucially, uh, he's a man of, of some integrity, um, which, after Allardyce, um, is going to be welcome. 
And he doesn't seem a pint of wine in a Chinese restaurant kind of person, does he? No, he doesn't. And um, you know, he's. I think he's what the. I read somewhere he's the the third um, ex Middlesbrough manager to um, to uh, well to become an England coach, assuming that he gets the job full time, but even an interim one. Um, and he was, you know, he was club captain there when he was in his, I think, early twenties or mid twenties. So he, you know, he sort of he's got good leadership experience. He's uh, got the, yeah, but that's yeah, I mean. That that doesn't necessarily like Steve McLaren's had some real ups and downs, hasn't he? I think I think on balance he's still a good coach. Mm. I'm not saying he's the right man for England, but you know things can happen that are not wholly within a manager's control. Um, I've watched the last two England under twenty one games um, because they've been on BT Sport, and that's been very instructive because that is obviously a side which bears. Southgate's imprint a lot more than the current England squad does. So I think if you want to get a sense of how um, Southgate will play, then maybe the under-21s is, is a place to go for it. And I've been really impressed by them. Um, even the sort of slightly reserved squad that was put out against France played some very attractive football. And it was that sort of head up, looking for a sensible pass but being direct when it was necessary, you know, they weren't lumping it around. They weren't hurrying too much. Um, and I, I think, I think if he's allowed to develop that sort of style with the, with the senior side, it might, it might be quite good. Okay. I will tell you what, let's talk about some of the positive things. Shall we? Um, that ball from Adam Lallana for Jamie Vardy, when he won the penalty. Yeah. Well, Lallana has been one of the better performers for England of late, hasn't he? Um, yeah, and indeed for Liverpool, mm. um, you know, he's he's in a very rich vein of form, as they say, in a rather tortuous mixed metaphor. Um, and uh, he I mean, you know, he's he's ex of our parish, isn't he? So even though the agitation for the move to Liverpool wasn't particularly covering himself in glory, it's still nice to see. Well, he put the advert in, didn't he? Saint doing well. Didn't he take an advert out of the local paper to say thank you? Yeah, but he he basically kind of marched in and was, you know, this big club are in for me now, so how much are you gonna sell me for? Oh really? Yeah. Oh fair enough. And uh, and he I think he was pretty much the first of of the kind of series that that was then an exodus that then became a season by season narrative. Hmm. Um England's last twelve games uh, they won seven, drawn four, lost one. So we started with a win against Germany, didn't we, in 2016? And we ended up nearly beating Spain. So other than the horrendous bit in between, it's been okay. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't, I don't know how how strong a Spain side that was. There certainly were, there, you know, there were people in that team that wouldn't necessarily be regulars. And we um, had absences too, didn't we? Um, we did. The hungover Wayne Rooney. <laughs> Wazza. <laughs> oh, what a man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I would still be concerned about, about any international side that's calling on people like Phil Jagielka and, and Gary Cahill. Yeah. Um, and I, I find, I find my relationship with the England national team very odd anyway. I cannot, 
for the life of me get interested in in actively supporting them. I'm becoming more and more apathetic, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll I'll sort of watch it because I feel like I ought to. Yes. Um but I don't, you know, I wouldn't cheer when England scored. Yeah, I know exactly or, what you mean. It's 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 more of a sort of an exercise that's predicated on the fact that part of my job revolves around watching football. It's not, you know, I don't take pride in England's performance or anything. But then I think maybe that's a a national football thing anywhere, or international football thing anywhere. There's, there was an article recently by uh, Wilson which said effectively international football is so far behind the club game now as a result of, of the way it's set up and, you know, the fact that coaches have got such a short period of time that effectively it's about organising a side with solid defensive cohesion and then relying on your Cristiano Ronaldo or your Lionel Messi or your, um, fuck, Adam Lallana maybe, um, <laughs> to, to produce a moment of, of individual brilliance that unlocks the game. And that is how Portugal won the Euros. I think um, you're right. But I, I think there's two groups of people in this country for England. I think there's your UKIP voting sort of England to two people that will follow them around and like the England band and everything. But I think as you've got an increase in social media and an increase in um, international football on TV as well, on football from different parts of the world, <laughs> I think you've got a lot of people who like international football but are apathetic about England. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And I, I mean, I worked on the Euros for, um, a sports social media company that I do work for. And, uh, uh, and so was more or less forced by, um, restraint of contract to watch, um, all the games. And, and, and there were some really exciting games, you know, and, and I think as well, when you start getting into, Things like, um, you know, South American qualification. Yeah. And, you know, I, I personally for me, it's, it's a, it's a little bit like playing football manager in that it's an opportunity to hear about and in the case of actual football watch players that wouldn't have crossed my radar otherwise. Um, and then sometimes to kind of look at the teams and who they play for and kind of delve into stuff. It's a, it's a fun exploratory exercise in that way. But I don't, I mean, I can trust, I, so I support Scotland in international rugby. It's a curiosity of, you know, parentage and so on and so forth. And I watched, um, Scotland playing Australia at the weekend. And obviously it was like the revenge possible revenge match for the rugby world cup quarterfinal, which I was also at. And, um, and there I get really into it. I like, I care passionately how Scotland do. I, I shout when they score a try, which obviously isn't very often. Um, I just don't feel the same way about international football at all. No, it's a really marked contrast. I know exactly what you mean. This England team, I am a little bit excited by it. Um, and Eric Dyer has made 13 appearances for England in 2016, and he's the, which is the most of anybody. Um, 
I'd be quite excited if Wayne Rooney was dropped and Eric Dyer was our captain. I think that Dyer was the was the only England player well, the only regular England player during the Euros to come back with his reputation enhanced. Yes, I was thinking Rashford till you said regular, but yeah, I know exactly what That's you mean. why I put that caveat <laughs> in because of Rashford. Um I I think I think Dyer needs to rein his temper in ever so slightly. Yeah. Um, he lost his rag at John Stones a couple of times, didn't he? Right. And he also, um, got very angry with Ander Herrera, um, for an elbow and whinged on about it. Um, I think I, I don't know. I, I always feel like international sides, whether it's football or rugby, should as much as possible be built around a core of one or two club sites mm. because I think that compensates for the issues of cohesion that you get when you're trying to bring a disparate group of players together. And Liverpool and Tottenham are the two sides that have got the most young, exciting English players. And it would make perfect sense to me to have either Eric Dyer or possibly, um, well, no, I, no, I think Eric Dyer is the right choice. Yeah, actually. I mean, I would have said Lalana as well, potentially. Mm. Um, he captained us, uh, when he was here. Um, I say here, I'm in Richmond, not Southampton, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so he does have leadership experience and, and he's pretty much a cert for the side as well. Yeah. Um, and playing very well, but I, I, I just think that Dyer, you know, that I, I like the idea of having a, a captain who's a central midfielder, particularly a deeper lying one. I do as well. The ability to see the whole of the pitch, to be able to link all the elements of the team together. Um, and also to have a, a captain who, who leads by example and, and, you know, does put challenges in and, and does work hard consistently. That's, that's why I say he does need to temper him his uh, aggression slightly because I think that's the wrong example to set. Mm. Um, and it was noticeable actually when I was watching the under 21s against Italy and France, how measured they were. Um, the, the way they played was very unhurried and it was very unaggressive. And I positively, I say that, you know, they weren't, they weren't dashing about like headless chickens trying to haul people down. It was thoughtful, methodical football. Um, and I think that's, that's what, England should be moving toward and and I think Dyer could captain that if he just removes a little bit of that edge to him. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. That's exactly why I'd like him as captain. Um one quick stat before we move on. Uh England completed three hundred and seventy passes compared to Spain's seven hundred and ten. Um Oh, this is well, where we get into stats, isn't it? And whether they're you know, what were those seven hundred and ten passes about? Exactly. They could have been 710 passes between the back four, couldn't they? Yeah, I mean, so, I'm jumping ahead slightly, but which side in the Premier League currently has the best uh, passing accuracy statistics, both in general and for passes into the final third? Uh, I'm going to say Manchester City, but I'll probably wrong. You are wrong. It's Manchester United. Is it? Wow. Yep. I tell you what I read. Yes, we were talking pre-pod, weren't we, about 
um, stats and books and all that sort of thing. And I just read Michael Calvin's Nowhere Men, and it's to do with something to do with sort of stats versus old school scouting. Um, and one of these old school scouts said the problem with stats is you'll have a left back, and the left back will be told to kick the ball into the channel um, for as, a, as, a, as an aggressive move. So what happens is he kicks the ball into the channel. Um, for an opposing defender sort of in his half to then head out for a throw to um, the left-back's team. So mm. looking at the left-back, it looks like he's got a terrible pass accuracy because he keeps giving the ball away, but he's doing what mm. the manager asked him to do. So yes, I yeah. mean, it depends how you read that 710 passes stat. Right. I mean, yeah, th- there is only one side in the Premier League that is unbeaten currently, and that's Spurs, obviously. Yeah. And yet, if you look at the top three for stats-wise, for goals scored, chances created, touches in the opposition box, and number of passes into the final third, Spurs are not in the top three for any of those stats. Mm. In fact, I think the only one where they're close is um, chances created. So, you know, you'd look at that and you'd think, well... How can they be unbeaten? Because, but it, you have to sort of temper everything with, um, the, the context in which that, exactly like you say, Leicester have, have lost possession more times than any team in the Premier League so far. Mm-hmm. I think it's something like 1782. But Leicester play quite a direct counter-attacking style. So, of course, they're going to give the ball away more. Yeah, you know, so it that, doesn't that, mean that Leicester is suddenly shit, although they are quite shit, <laughs> but it, it's, it's a reflection of their style. Yeah. Spain keep the ball. They play lots of lateral passes. They, you know, they, they pass out from the back using Busquets to sort of drop in deep. Everybody knows this. So, of course, they're going to have really high numbers of passes but if it's not going forwards then is it really achieving anything hmm. okay um northern ireland lost at home to 3-0 to croatia for the first time since september 2013 they've lost a home game mm. uh mandzukic kramaric and cop i don't know if he was good cop or bad cop or how he got on but i was trying to think <laughs> of a joke around that and i was really struggling yeah i i mm. I mean, Northern Ireland and police, the, the jokes tend to be a little close to the bone, don't they? They so, do. They do. Oh, uh, I saw a good film this week. Have you seen 71? Uh, no, I haven't. It's really good. It's about, set in, 19, okay. set in 1971, but a British, uh, soldier who gets lost, uh, in a nationalist area of Belfast after an operation goes wrong. And he's, um, and it's his attempt to try and get back to safety. Really, really good. All right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, well, worth I, I have heard that. It's, um, Who's the lad that's in it? I can't remember. It's been Is on it film J- for quite a lot. James Norton? Or am I making that up? I don't know. Might be making that up. It sounds... Is that just a name you've just made up, is it? Or just got confused with? No, he's definitely an actor. Oh, right. I mean, he exists as a person. Oh, right. There's not a James Norton you've just thought of. No. No. Um, no, I don't know who's in it, but it's very, very good. Okay. Yeah, it's well worth checking out. Um, elsewhere, uh, Italy nil, Germany nil. Now, there's some kind of changing of the guard going on here. Could have been quite a significant ceremonial day here. Do you know why? 
no, I don't. I always feel guilty when you ask me these things. <laughs> I don't, don't know the answer. Well, Gianluigi Buffon won his 167th cap. This puts him level oh. with Ike Casillas uh, as a record holder. But he was withdrawn at half-time for Gianluigi Donnarumma. Yeah. He's good, isn't he? But, I mean, he's, I mean, he's ridiculous. Yes. Imagine being 17 years old and just being that fantastic at something and being incredibly wealthy and you get to play for Milan. Right. Does that remind you of anybody else except it was Palmer rather than Milan? Exactly. Yeah, it was. Exactly. It? Even Buffon's dad says that he's the successor. Yeah. And, and it's, it's wonderful because Italy have obviously got this rich tradition of, of exceptional goalkeepers. Um, and, I mean, Christ, Milan need all the help they can get at the moment. Um, they're doing all right at the minute. Yeah, but it's, that's, you know, this, this is the team that won the European Cup was it three times in a row. You know, it's like, this is not, I, I mean, that's, I think both Milan teams are, are struggling one more than the other, obviously, but I think having, having a, a really, really talented, like a world class talent, Italian youngster coming through in Serie A and, and staking a claim is, is just good for Italian football, full stop. Definitely. Um, and video replay was used in this game as well. Uh, Kevin Volland's goal was disallowed for offside. Okay. I've not seen I... the actual video of the video replay, but, or, you know, right. I've, just, I've read about it, but it seems quite interesting that the fact that they've used it for something like offside. Yes. I mean, that's, that's one of the things, isn't it? That where you have, where you have replays that are official video replays. And then in some instances where replays are very quickly shown on big screens and referees realize that they've erred and overruled themselves, but it's sort of an unofficial thing. Mm. I mean, in rugby, what you can use a video replay for is very clearly stipulated. Um, that it is only for tries or for incidents of violent conduct. And so that's why when <clears throat> Scotland were uh, wrongly penalised in the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal <laughs> against Australia. Um, Build a bridge um, and get over it. No, I will never, ever get over that. Um that uh, he was the, the the referee, the South African fellow whose name I've temporarily forgotten. Um, Craig Joubert, fucking god. <laughs> anyway, he he was actually correct in not going to the video replay to see if that decision had been right or not, because it wasn't a circumstance in which he was allowed to do that. Um, so everyone who was criticising him for that was wrong to do so. They can rightly criticise him for a plethora of other things. But I think if you're going to use video replays, you have to be very, very clear. You know, these are the things for which they work. These are the things for which they don't. And and you have to cut out that referees overruling themselves because of something they've just noticed. I thought they used it in rugby video replays. So when they showed a yellow card to the player and the player trots off, the rugby fans can say, look, you don't get that in football because they just trot off and they call the referee sir. Yeah, I've never really understood that whole thing. Snobbish rugby fans are the worst thing in sport. Um, I mean, are they the worst thing in sport? Yeah. Mm. 
if I see it's got a football team, they'd, it'd still be the worst thing in sport. Okay. I mean, you're, hey, you're telling someone who lives in Richmond. So I see them every time there's an international game on and sometimes when there are Quinns games on as well. And, and yes, they are pretty awful people. And I say that as somebody who loves rugby and, and also writes about it. Oh, speaking but, of rugby, I got blocked by Will Carling this week on Twitter. What did you do? Well, the, no, the, last week, I think it was. It was when all the did you say happened. something like what you just said? No, it was when the... Um, do you remember when the Shane Sutton thing came out in cycling, where he yeah. was found guilty of using the language to uh, Jessica Varnish? Will Carling basically uh, put a tweet out along the lines of, you know, sometimes these things are said in sport where they're said as a motivational thing and she should have just got on with it um so i said it's very nice for a, a middle class man to tell a woman what she should and shouldn't be getting on with <laughs> yeah and he blocked me well then he's a twat isn't he he is but then he's a former england rugby captain so what do you expect oh no lots of nice people have been former england rugby captains really martin johnson I'm not sure you would say he was nice. You might say he was honourable. And, and I doubt Martin Johnson would say something as stupid as that. Mm. But I don't think he's necessarily... I don't know. I, I, I was talking to um, a colleague earlier about about sports. Well, uh, we were talking about sportsmen because we were talking about the um, the Champions Cup rugby and coverage of that. But I guess it applies to sports people generally that... I, I don't know why you would expect them or why one would expect them to be pleasant, well-rounded individuals when the level of almost sociopathic dedication that is required to get to the elite level at any sport means that they're going to be extraordinarily competitive. They're probably going to be driven to the point of not particularly pleasant and they're also probably not going to have many interests outside of sport because why would they and and yet we sort of want sports people to be these lovely well-rounded happy individuals yes and it just to me it's sort of a it's a slight fantasy that's being projected onto you know we we want them to be deities that we can only you know, aspire to even come close to. Oh, and yet at the same time, we want them to be like ordinary folk. This is and a whole it, new podcast. This is. It just, it's, it just doesn't seem to go into it. Yeah. I, it doesn't work for me. And that's, you know, that's why when you read interviews with sports people and they always seem at pains to point out that, you know, John's got a really big DVD collection and enjoys comedy or Sarah also plays the guitar. And you think, well, I'm not interested in that. I I want to find out how they've become the best in the world at tennis. I don't. Andy Murray should be celebrated purely for being the world number one in tennis. Why we expect him to also be smiley and happy and lovely and have hobbies as well just is beyond me. Exactly. I love Andy Murray to bits. I don't get people that don't like him, but I don't. You don't at him. all. And do you know my favourite thing about Andy Murray? You don't want to, you don't want to. I don't understand people that don't like him. Yeah. I think he's an absolute phenomenon and I don't think people appreciate necessarily because 
uh, yeah, there are obviously some extraordinarily knowledgeable tennis people, far more so than than I in the UK. But I do think because we've got one of the four majors here, people switch on to tennis for a three week period mm. during the summer and then switch off from it again. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily appreciated how astonishingly difficult it is to be world number one, let alone in arguably the greatest and most competitive 10 years that tennis has ever had. And for him to do that, as well as winning various majors, it's just like that. It's incredible what he's done. I'm stood on my Um, table here applauding you. Right. (laughs) And what was I going to say? You're going to say something. Oh, yeah. There was a video that was prepared during Wimbledon. Um, And the question was, how do you eat your strawberries? And everyone, you know, they had loads of different tennis players going, oh, I like my strawberries with cream. I eat my strawberries with cream. And then it cut to Andy Murray and he went, with my fingers. (laughs) I think he's got a really, really dry sense of humour and people misunderstand him. Have you seen the picture of him in his Christmas jumper? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think people really misunderstand him. I think that was genius. Yeah. I thought that was absolute genius. So, yeah, anyway, Andy Murray haters... Fuck you. Indeed. Well, there's a separate podcast on psychopathic, selfish sportsmen being far more interesting than other people. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I've just finished reading Danish Dynamite, the book about the 1980s Denmark football team. Hmm. And clearly, some of them come across as super chilled out guys. Lovely people that you want to go and... Not that I drink, but, you know, have a coffee with or a slice of cake or what have you. But I'm sure that when push comes to shove, even then, and and obviously, you know, football was less professionalized than it is now, if not less professional. Um, they were still ultra competitive and fiercely dedicated to winning and probably would have cut stuff out of their lives in order not to do that and and yet there's still this sense and it's a really good book don't get me wrong i enjoyed it enormously but there's still this kind of sense of you know it's are these long-haired lads who love the beer and would occasionally pull on a football shirt and god it turns out they were really good at football it's like no these were people who were winning championship after championship with Bayern munich with ajax with you know, a host of really good clubs. They're, they're not like a bunch of hippies who happen to be good at kicking a ball around. Oh, you'd much rather sit and talk for an hour to Lance Armstrong and Diego Maradona than Lionel Messi and Chris Froome, wouldn't you? They'd be far more interesting people because of their psychopathic self-centeredness. Mm. Definitely. This is why I don't get Ronaldo haters. Exactly. I don't get Ronaldo haters either. I mean, I don't get, I do find his, um, play acting annoying. Did you see his but... mannequin this week? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that to bits. I mean, that's the that thing. Was that pe- funny. People wouldn't, people would hate that. Absolutely hate that because mm. they think, oh, that's Ronaldo. He's just posing with no clothes on. But oh, I, do you know what? I love him to bits just because of the fact he is just so completely and utterly. Self-centered yeah. and self-dedicated. I think he's it's, fantastic. It's not the best mannequin challenge I've seen, though. That's um, that's one belonging to a circus troupe, and like half of them are hanging off rings and balancing on each other and stuff like that. It's 
Unreal. Yeah. Um. Well, the Costa Rica players tried a mannequin this week. Didn't you see that? I didn't, but I am aware that they smashed America 4-0. They did. They smashed the United States 4-0 um, in the CONCACAF region of qualifying. Uh, Panama drew 0-0 yeah. with Mexico and Honduras beat Trinidad 3-1. So at their qualifying group, you've got Costa Rica on six points. Then you've got Mexico and Panama on four, Honduras on three, Trinidad on nil point, and the USA, uh, uh, no points. Mm. They lost their game to Mexico the other day. Um, the every, wall game. The wall game, yeah. And they had a nice little photo together, didn't they, before the game? Well, that'll solve everything. Yeah, be all right. That's like hashtags on Twitter solving everything. Yeah, that's like Twitter full stop. Sorry, <laughs> uh, Bowl qualifiers: Peril new, uh, Peril nil, Brazil two. Uh, Gabi Jesus and Renato Augusto. Um, Chile beat Uruguay three one. Sorry, Jesse and Argentina three. Colombia nil. Lionel Messi, uh, Angel Di Maria, and my new favourite name footballer Prato. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so, Conobo qualifying the top half of that table. They've all played 12. You've got Brazil on 27, Uruguay 23, Ecuador and Chile on 20, and then the player position, you've got Argentina on 19, and lurking behind them, Colombia on 18. Um, Oceania. They've got two groups. We talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, New Zealand and New Caledonia in Group A played each other and won one and... Actually, that can't work out. They both got four points. Anyway, that's how that works out. Uh, group B in the Solomon Islands. Um, they got their revenge on Tahiti. If you'd listened last week, you would know about that. Um, we had an in-depth discussion on Tahiti and their football and what British sailors got there when they visited in the 1700s. Um, Tahiti won last week against Solomon Islands. Solomon Islands got their revenge with a 92nd winner from Emmanuel Polila. So Solomon Islands are top, Tahiti on second on three points, then Papua New Guinea. Uh, in Asia, um, Syria drew 0-0 in with Iran. So you've got Iran top on Group A on 11 points, South Korea on 10. Then you've got Uzbekistan on 9, Syria on 5. And in Group B, UAE beat Iraq 2-0 and Thailand drew 2-2 with Australia. So you've got Saudi Arabia and Japan on 10 points. And then you've got Australia and the UAE on 9. Africa, they had qualifiers, but there's far too many and far too complicated, far too many games and groups to go into. Okay, that's what, that's it from around the world. Um, Stephen Gerrard. Oh, Edin Dzeko. Did you see Edin Dzeko get sent off this week? <laughs> yes, I did. He pulled the yes. pants down on one of the Greek players, didn't he? He pulled the shorts down. The yes, he didn't. Pants he remained pants. up. My dad on the golf yeah. course once, uh, one summer's day, he was playing golf with a friend of his, and just as my dad's friend was about to tee off, my dad pulled his shorts down for a lull without realizing my dad's friend had gone commando. Oh dear. Yeah. Edin Dzeko, I think, is, um, subtly quite a hard player. I don't think I'd want to cross him. I saw him once stand up to Marko Arnautovic and there's just a look in, there's a steely look in his eyes at some points when he gets angry and you think, I really wouldn't want to cross you. No, and he's quite a lump as well, isn't he? He is, isn't he? And he's obviously been through a lot and seen a lot in his childhood that's obviously hardened him as well. So. Yeah. I wouldn't want to cross him. Yeah. No. Um, Stephen Gerrard, did you read about him? Yes. I don't know what's the most ridiculous piece of news this week about Stephen Gerrard. Um, Mark <sighs> Lawrence is saying he could still get into the Liverpool team or Stephen Gerrard possibly becoming the new MK Dons manager. 
I, I mean, I think they are tied for utter absurdity, <laughs> personally. Um, yeah, I, I just, the, 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 you know, okay, there's, there's been a huge amount of talk recently because of what's happened with, with Allardyce and Southgate possibly taking over about, you know, young English managers. What do we do with the English game? How do we change things? How do we make things better and stuff like that? The way to do it is not to give Steven Gerrard, who was undoubtedly for a while a very good player, not, I don't think ever a world class player personally, but whatever that phrase means anyway. Um, to give him a management role straight out of playing in the MLS with no experience of management or coaching whatsoever when there are people who are working extraordinarily hard to get coaching badges, to develop experience, to put themselves out there and, and try and get these opportunities because he's, you know, a big name signing but as a manager and, you know, maybe MK Don's, who let's not forget, a heartless, soulless enterprise anyway. Oh, no, hang but, on a minute, hang on a minute. If we're going to do that, are we going to, how far back do we go? What do you mean, how far back? Do we go back to Woolwich Arsenal? <laughs> Everyone uh, has to start somewhere. Yeah, sure. Everyone has to start somewhere, but it's not like Wimbledon as was, were not a well-established side with a, a good history as where they were. Willage Arsenal moved quite a short time, relatively speaking, after their foundation. Okay. I mean, every, no, every I, I, was, I was only one very, week. very, no, no, I know, but very few football clubs started in the instantiation that they now exist. Manchester but, United and, don't even play Manchester. <clears throat> what? Manchester United don't even play Manchester. What do you mean? They play in Salford. It's a completely separate place, as any proud Salfordonian will tell you. Right. Well, I mean, I think I've been to Manchester three times. Mm. You wouldn't ever. have seen Manchester United there. No, I certainly wouldn't have. Um, but, uh, no. I, so, anyway, to return to yeah, Gerard, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I was only I, being a bit impish. I, I completely I agree don't, with I you. Don't, no, because otherwise I get all ranty and then I stop making <laughs> sense. Um, I just, I, I just think that, that it's exactly the sort of appointment that is a backward step. If you're going to appoint an ex-player, and yes, there are definitely circumstances where that has worked, but the two most recent examples, to my mind, are Gary Monk and Eddie Howe, both of whom stepped up to manage the sides that they had to be playing at without any kind of real hiatus. Um, Gerard doesn't have that experience and there's, there's nothing to say that somebody who is extraordinarily good at a thing will then be very good at teaching it. Yeah. I mean, I had a quick chat with an MK Dons fan on Twitter before recording tonight. Um, he said our last few managers uh, didn't have an awful lot of experience and they did okay. He cited Roberto Di Matteo, uh, Paul Lintz and Carl Robinson. So he's right in that respect. I, going back to what we talked about earlier on with having to have psychopathic self-centeredness to be the top sportsman, it's very difficult to switch off from that one week retiring from LA Galaxy to then have um, everyone's thoughts and feelings of a town 
Um, and you're supposed to become a completely and utterly selfless person managing this football club because if you get this football club relegated, then not only do you do, do the players lose contracts and stuff, but you've got the average bods, tea ladies, um, cleaners, security guards, all those people working at the club losing their jobs. And you've got to go from being a very self-centred footballer to being a very altruistic person all of a sudden. Unless you're Brian Clough. Yeah. But then, I don't no, think Stephen not... Gerrard's going to be Brian Clough. <laughs> no, I don't. No, and, and This I, is the I man think... who once said his favourite kind of cheese was grated. <laughs> oh, sweet Lord. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know what you mean. And, and, I mean, actually, to be fair to Clough, he, he did see clubs as holistic entities where everybody was important. Um, despite also being an utter egomaniac at the same time. Um, I, I just, I just find this idea of, so, you know what I used to do for a living mm. before what I do now. And, um, there was this sense that if you were promoted up through the ranks, um, having, you know, gathered good evidence by doing the day to day job of policing well, that somehow you would automatically become a good supervisor. And they are different skill sets. In order to be a good manager or a good supervisor or a good leader, they aren't necessarily skills that are either developed or shown by doing the job at a ground level. Similarly with football management, being a good player does not translate by default into being a good manager. It, it simply Hanke. does. <laughs> I, yeah, he was he was a decent footballer no, I, and a and a good man. But you know, look, there Tony there's Adams. Tony Adams, very good example. You know that there are that there are there are plenty of examples of of top class players who became top class managers. There are plenty of examples of people who had no professional career whatsoever to speak of who are brilliant managers. There aren't, I. I just think that there's there's no guarantee of success and that when you have a player like Gerard, particularly who was never noted for tactical awareness or for an especially cerebral approach to the game, you know, you, you just have to look at the when Gerard was at his best as a footballer, it was when he basically went, fuck it and decided that he was the only person who was going to get this result for Liverpool and started terrassing around the pitch, doing all kinds of things all over the place and somehow dragging them towards the finish. That's not a person who's going to necessarily be able to structure and organise a team and explain to everybody what their different roles are and all the rest of it. Um, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, I think you're right. I mean, he was a good captain in regards to setting an example. I think man manager as a captain, I don't think he'd be great. Um, because, I mean, when he got sent off in his last appearance at Anfield against United, when he only just come on as a sub. The other thing mm. I, I was thinking about as you were talk, talking then was Liverpool played at Old Trafford once and Javi Mascherano lost his head and got booked. And he just continually, for the next 15, 20 minutes, just mouthed off at the referee. And Gerard didn't do anything once to... Um, step up to him and say calm down or or anything like that and in the end Mascherano got sent off for a second yellow for dissent in the first half 
And it took Rafa <clears> Benitez <throat> to calm him down and get him off the pitch. And I think that's <clears> the sort of thing that you look to when you look to a um, someone in a sort of man management situation. Um, yeah, and and you know, okay. So the the other I've seen Giggs is is another of the mooted names for the MK Dons role. Mm. At least Giggs is somebody who has got coaching badges, attended courses, and had experience in the management structure of a club. You know, I'm, I'm not saying necessarily that that he would be the right fit for it either, but at least he has gone out of his way like the Neville brothers did to, to take steps to professionalize that as a separate aspect to his career. Mm. And it seems like to kind of just swan it and, you know, I don't, it's a, it's a very, look, I get annoyed with, with the fact that, that football is so old boys network anyway. Mm. Not, not like public school and ties old boys network, but you know, ex pros yeah. doing everything. Whether that's punditry, commentary, management, um, agents as well. Um, it just seems like it, it traps the game in, in a way of thinking that everybody generalizes from their own experiences, right? Mm. Everybody adds more weight to what they personally have, have gone through. Um, and the things that are most easily called to mind are the things that, that, that kind of jump forward when you're thinking, okay, how do I approach this situation? How do I solve that? And of course, that's one of the arguments about if you were a player who played under a really good manager, then you can use that experience to, to facilitate you taking over the role. But I just think that, that people need to step outside of that bubble and, and either have some time away from the game altogether or, to go off on one of these courses and realize that they're, you know, they don't know anything about that aspect of the game yet. And to learn that with a little bit of humility, possibly, um, and then go back into it if they've decided it's the right thing for them and they're prepared to commit to it. But it just seems like a, quite a knee jerk sort of like, okay, well that's finished. Uh, what can I do? Well, I've got a big reputation. These guys will talk to me. Yeah. Fuck it. I'll give management a crack. Hmm. Exactly. Um, should we talk about some fixtures this weekend? Shall we? Shall we, shall we? Well, I'll tell you what, first of all, there's five fixtures in Europe going on in Europe land this weekend because you've got the Milan derby, you've got the Madrid derby, you've got what you hipsters call Der Klassiker, uh, Bayern Munich versus Dortmund, and you've got Fenerbahce Galatasaray. Um, which one of those are you looking forward to? Um... I would say probably if I was going to watch any of those, I'd probably watch the Milan derby. That's the right answer. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, uh, their classica doesn't necessarily interest me a huge amount. Actually, largely because I don't know a great deal about German football. Mm. Um, I'm tearing my hips to badges off now as we speak. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I think it's, yeah. Football is always better with, with context and knowledge, isn't it? So, um, Milan, the, the two clubs there, I, you know, I grew up watching football Italia. Um, I've, I've read quite a lot about Serie A. Um, I, I kind of, you know, I'll watch Italian football games as and when I can. Um, so I think that's, that's the one to go for. Definitely, definitely. Um, 
Premier League fixtures this weekend. Uh, probably the biggest game of the weekend is Manchester United versus Arsenal. Um, mm. Hector Bellerin will be out for a month. Santa Corzola remains sidelined as well. Uh, Alexis Sanchez, they're not entirely sure about. Um, Manchester United team news, not quite sure of yet, but Ibrahimovic is suspended, isn't he? So does that mean Rooney returning up front? Or maybe chuck Rashford up front and do what would be really sensible? Um, well, Paul of Manchester United Rankcast is continually wailing and gnashing his teeth at the lack of martial action. Yeah, look, Man United are a weird side at the moment. So they, they're actually playing pretty well in a lot of ways. And, and I, okay, this is the statistics versus stuff, but their biggest problem is converting good chances into goals. And the player who has scored the most goals for Manchester United since he made his debut or in that period of time since he made his debut is Marcus Rashford. So if you're creating lots of chances, your passing is good, um, you're moving the ball around well, you need a, a striker who's going to finish those chances, then you pick Rashford. Mm-hmm. That that to me is just really quite obvious. So that's that's personally who I would go for. Now, Martial can inject pace, he can inject creativity. Why he isn't starting and, and Lingard seems to be... Um, well, Lingard's been in it quite a lot against, uh, in the, their last game, they played a much narrower front three behind Ibrahimovic with Mata, Pogba and Rooney. That doesn't make sense to me because I don't think their fullbacks are giving enough width. Um, so I think there is an issue there. But if you're looking for somebody to replace Ibrahimovic up front, you play Rashford. Do you think, well, that's what you should do. Do you think he will do? Well, I think this is the, the conundrum with Manchester United this season is, is you don't know what he's going to do. I mean, the, the, the teams sort of chop and change quite a lot, don't they? Mm. Um, and yes, okay. There is obviously the what do you do with Rooney? Um, but then, uh, you know, I guess apart from De Gea and Pogba and to an extent matter, there's nobody in that team who is guaranteed a starting position. You you don't know who's going to turn up. Um, you know, it was Jones and Rojo with the centre-backs for the last game. Now, OK, Bailey's injured. Smalling's coming back, should be back fairly soon. But, you know, there's there's no solidity. There's no... And I, and I say this with the caveat that Manchester United are playing better than people think they're playing. Because, they? yeah, they are. I, I genuinely think they are. Um, I think they, like I say, their, their biggest single problem is putting away their chances. Okay. And if they if they were doing that, they would, you know, would they be massively higher in the table? I don't know, but it would, it would not mask the deficiencies, but it it would help mask the fact that I don't think Mourinho has a plan. Somehow the team is actually functioning quite well, but I don't think he knows what he's doing with them. But so sort of they're doing it in spite of him rather than because of him. 
Well, I think you've, I think there are enough good players in that team to be able to do that. Yes. Mm. Um, I, I think, I suppose what I mean more is that while he might tactically get it right now and again, I don't think there's a strategy. I don't think there's an overall sense of, of the movement of that team towards a particular style of play, a particular system, a particular set of players that can be relied upon. And, and I think that's what makes this Mourinho tenure so different from his previous ones at other clubs where yes, he had the, the tactical ability to, to, you know, I don't know, get Samueletto to, to track back all of the time and tie off one wing. And that's how Inter did so well and all of this kind of stuff. People know about that, but I think there was also a sense of, right, we are going to play mostly in this particular style and we are going to look to develop that as a form of play going forwards that will tweak as and when we come up against particular opponents. I don't think Manchester United have that yet. Okay. Um, Right, we'll move on to Everton versus Swansea. Um, Everton had that 5-0 tonking before, didn't they, by Chelsea. Um, Swansea in free fall. I do really feel for Bob Bradley. I really want him to do well, to stick it up to those who think he's a dumb American. But he's not had the best of starts, has he? He's No. He's really struggling. I think he's not... He's. I mean, three of his last five games have been against... Liverpool, Arsenal and Manchester United plus he had mm-hmm. an away game against Stoke so he's been really really up against it um, I mean these are two teams in an absolute slump mm. um, Everton have won only one of their last six um, Swansea well Bradley will be the first ever Swansea manager to go five games without winning mm. in his first five games if that happens Um but Everton haven't won any of their last four games against Swansea in the Premier League. So, you know, there's a sort of a precedent of this being a team that Everton don't do well against. It might be the one that Bradley manages to turn it around a bit. Well, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go Swansea. I'm going to, I'm going to be positive from. Yeah. I, I mean, if Swansea, Swansea mm, are, kind of responsible for their own problems quite a lot. They, they, they make a lot of mistakes. Um, and they're heavily reliant on Sigurdsson. Um, and if Sigurdsson is off and they make an error, then they lose a game. Mm. Um, I think he's, he's starting to probably find, I mean, they, I thought Swansea looked good against Arsenal despite losing. Um, I thought that was quite encouraging. Um, and he does have two good strikers in Baston and Lorente. Hmm. They, they just need to kind of find the, you know, the, the historic form and, and start translating that into what they're currently doing. And they should be okay. And, and like, yeah, I agree with you. I think this could be the game where, because Everton have just, I don't know what's happened with Everton. I, I, they were great, weren't they? And then yeah, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, <clears throat> and, it, and you know, Lukaku, Balassi, Barkley, it, you know, they've they've got some really exciting players going forwards. Um, 
the 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 Chelsea loss I think was the 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 first time that they've shipped five goals in quite a long time. I think it's it's the first time since August 2014 they've conceded five or more in a game. Right. So that's that's quite bad. It is. It's not great, is it? No. Um, go on, mm. we're going to go for Swansea then, shall we? Um, I'm going to go for Swansea for this one. We didn't actually call the last one. Didn't we? You know, uh, the Arsenal and you game. I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to go for a man you win if they put Rashford up front. Yeah, you see, imagine, imagine Rocco and Jones versus Walcott and Sanchez. Yeah, Arsenal have Sanchez has been as well. caught. Sanchez has been caught offside more times than any Premier League player this season. Has he? As an Arsenal, he's well playing for Arsenal. Sixteen times. Sixteen times. Yep. Well, it shows he's getting in those positions to be offside. You could, if you're being positive, if you're being David Brent positive. Yeah. Um, Crystal Palace, Manchester City. This is the Lee Bradbury derby. Mm. Um, Crystal Palace are, God, they're very bipolar, aren't they? They're either brilliant or they're terrible, and they're going through one of their terrible phases, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Well, it's four straight losses, isn't it? Yeah. Um. I think. Sorry, I interrupted you. That's bad podcast form. Go on. I thought I do it more than enough to everybody else, so that's fine. Uh, I, no, I was just wondering if Alan Pardew was in managerial trouble. I think he has to be. Um, I think for a start, they've invested quite heavily during his tenure. Um. And, you know, he's got players of real ability there, um, particularly Kabai, Bentake and Punchin. I know Punchin's been around for a while, but, you know, they're not, they're, they're kind of marquee signings, aren't they? Mm. Um, I think the most worrying thing, if you're a Palace fan, is the fact that despite pretty much having a settled backline, I know Scott Dan was out for a game or two, but, their their back four doesn't change a lot, and Mandanda was an upgrade on Hennessy, um, but they've not kept a clean sheet for sixteen games. Um, That's a and, very long time, isn't it? Yeah, um, the last people that they kept out were in fact Everton. Um, so that to me suggests a, a side that's got real issues. Whether it's because the the midfield aren't screening sufficiently, whether Mandanda I mean you it, it might sound like an odd thing to say, but he's he's French. He's never played in England before. You know, is his English good enough to communicate with a back four, all of whom are English speakers, to to get things organized and to keep goals out? That may be an issue. Um but that I think is a very worrying trait. Um and if he's not in trouble, then he may have naked photos of the chairman. <laughs> what a lovely thought. Mm. Um, what we're going to go for here? Do you know what? It's a small, imposing stadium. It creates quite an atmosphere. But Manchester City do do very well against Crystal Palace, so I'm going to go for 
Manchester City. Oh, do you reckon there's going to be any kind of Pep versus Pardew thing? <laughs> no, I think Pep's too cool for that. Yeah. Um. Yes, I. I think. I think yes, City will win. Uh, I think if Palace score, it's worth having a punt on Connor Wickham because he scored more goals against Manchester City in the Premier League than he has against any other side. Is it three? It is three, level with Stoke. Um, and don't necessarily bet on Aguero. No, I've taken he... him up my fancy team, actually. Well, Aguero's, Aguero scored against 28 of the 30 Premier League sides he's faced, right? His highest is 11, which is against Newcastle, but he's only scored two against Palace. Hmm. What are the two sides he's failed to score against? Go on. Oh, I don't know. Not... Bolton and Burnley. Oh, the bees. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has scored the opening goal of a game on more occasions than any other Premier League player this season. So, who knows, man? I should have done my wait. stats realising you were coming on, shouldn't I? I will outstat you every time, man. Oh, but my team went, um, <laughs> this, this was so much fun. We, um, the, the social media team I work for, um, Livewire, we, we took a, a crew to the Opta stats quiz. I saw that and you were very disappointing. Disappointing? Didn't you come 11th? Yeah, we came 11th out of what, like 27. The, the people that come in the top 10 are not human. Right. Seriously. Like 11th is really, like that is fucking hard, that quiz. Get I it. was fear. Oh, Get so the question. There, um, okay. Well, an easy question would be like, when was the first England Scotland international? 1886. 1872. What was the score? 6-0. Nil-nil. <sighs> Come on, man. Um, but so there was ones like, oh, what's, what's the only side to have won League Two twice? League Two? I, yeah. I was furious about this because I actually said the right answer and then we went with someone else. <gasps> That's how awful when that happens. What's oh, the right answer? Chesterfield. What did your man say? No, it, it was, it was a committee decision. We went for Wickham Wanderers. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, it is wrong, so, obviously. <laughs> um, Do you remember the yeah. Super Fairy Animals song, Text Messaging is Destroyed the Pub Quiz? Um, I don't remember that, but I had no reception. And, and I think it's like, <laughs> it's, no, I think it's the sort of thing that people, I think people respect it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited, actually. I'm going to see, um, uh, Duncan Alexander, the, the Opta guy, um, give a talk on Monday at UC, is it UCL? Yeah, it's UCL. He let me down uh, the other day. No. He did. How? Because England had, um, five players starting in their starting lineup whose name began with a J. And I said, when's the last time this happened? And he kind of got, I kind of got the impression from him that he'd come back to me and tell me, but he never did. Oh. I, I even said he was like the Bill Friendle of football, which is like the highest compliment you can pay a statistician. Yeah. And he never got back to me. That's, well, I'll, I'll ask him if I see him on Monday. Yeah. 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 You do he's that. a good, he's a good quiz compare. Is he? Yeah. He does good quiz. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, oh, Alex, I've got to give you this thing I know, and you've got to give the same to me. 
because it's the Jimmy Case derby. <clears throat> we'll lose. I always think Liverpool are going to lose every game, to be honest. Really? Yeah, I'm just an ultimate pessimist. <laughs> okay. Well, I yeah, I think that's unduly negative. You realise if you win this game, you'll have won the most games in 2016. I do. Um, oh, I want to give a shout out. I can't remember who it was the other day, but someone tweeted that um, Luis Suarez cost Liverpool the title in 2014. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Not a terrible defence. No. Uh, Luis Suarez and his, his mere 31 goals in 33 games. Yeah. Apparently, he tweeted that if we'd got Diego Costa, we'd have won that league. Ah. Diego Costa's had a hand in more goals this season than anyone else. Yeah, but he's not Luis Suarez, though. No, that's that's fair. I think the most interesting stat for this game mm. is mm. that mm. Southampton have dropped more points from leading positions, positions than any, any team. other team. And no side <laughs> has won One more having been behind, behind than Liverpool. Liverpool. Six in brackets. Are we reading and, the same website? No. Who's, what is that on a website? That's on the Premier League website, word for word. Fuckers. <laughs> That's outrageous. <laughs> what are you looking at then? What am I looking I'm looking at my stats page that word I prepared. Go on, I'll tell you what then. Um, hang on a second. You re- I'm going to read it out and you read in your head what you've written down and I'll read you what's on the website. Southampton Southampton have dropped more points from leading positions than any other team this season in bracket eight, while no side has collected more from being behind than Liverpool in bracket six. <sighs> Is that word for word what you've got? Well, yeah. <laughs> Which website is this, though? This is PremierLeague.com. All oh, right, okay. The mask is slipping, Alex. No, it's not. I'll explain why afterwards. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for a Southampton win on this one. Oh, really? Yeah, I am. I'm not. Are you not? No? No. No. No, in fact, I said today in the office that I thought, and you'll kill me for this, mm. but I think that, that Liverpool or Chelsea will win the title. No. Yeah. Don't say that. Well, I know you know, but is, yeah. This is Murray Walker syndrome. Oh, as if. He's bound to win. That's, <laughs> I mean, that just, <laughs> how many hundreds of times did Murray Walker say that someone was going to win and they did? Oh, yeah, I know. I knew he, pro- yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I tell you when, I tell you when he was wrong, uh, when Ayrton Senna crashed and there was a helicopter flying above giving a sort of shot down on the scene as to what happened. And Senna's head lolled from the right to the left. And Murray Walker said, oh, his head's moved. He's going to be okay. That's not good. No. So, yeah, he he definitely got it wrong at some point. Um, Lallana got injured the other day, didn't he? And Coutinho and Roberto Firmino only came back on today, I think it was, from international duty. Mm, yeah. So, I don't um, know. I'm still going to go you. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the best attack versus the second best defence. So we could both be wrong and it's a horrific nil-nil draw where you (laughs) batter us incessantly. Or, 
90 minutes. Although I do, uh, I do think we have a problem in goal at the moment. Fraser. So that, yeah, the most interesting statistic for measuring goalkeepers' performance is shots saved inside the box. Okay. Um, because it's, it's the best steer on how good they're actually, both in terms of, um, if you organize a defense, well, you don't get shots inside the box. Um, and if you, uh, don't or a shot happens anyway, then it's the best, um, way of assessing your reflexes and stuff. And he, he's very low. He's saving like 45% of shots inside the box. I think he's pretty much him and Courtois are the two lowest of every first choice goalkeeper. Right. Um, and, and he's quite a bit down on last season as well. So I think that that doesn't fill me with confidence. Um, yeah, and and I don't know what McCarthy's. Well, we had Stuart Taylor on the bench in the last game. Did you? In fact, in fact, I had I had a boat to pit with Opta as well because um, I emailed them earlier today to say um, angry. Uh, how many times? Yeah, angry Richmond. How many times has Stuart Taylor been an unused substitute? Oh, go on what? And they 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 couldn't tell me. <gasps> this is your man, I know. Duncan, isn't it? Duncan Alexander. Mm. Well, then there's a whole team of them there. Well, he's let you down. He's let me down this week. I mean, Stuart Taylor has made 29 Premier League starts, which I think is probably more than most people would think. Yeah, because he had that period in when David Seaman was injured for Arsenal, where he played quite a lot. Yeah, and in fact, he's only made five substitute appearances. Mm. So the vast preponderance of his games will have been as unused subs on the bench, but I couldn't find out exactly what. The latest Blizzard <laughs> podcast is about unused goalkeeping substitutes. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I'll okay. check that one out. Um, we're going to rattle through a couple of these, unfortunately, because we're, time is getting against us. Uh, quickly, Stoke versus Bournemouth. I'm going to go Stoke. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can't go Stoke. Yeah, Stoke at home, aren't they? Stoke at home, um, they beat Bournemouth both times last season. Um, yeah, I think. And also they've, they've really surged into form recently. Mm. Um, 11 points since the start of October, only Chelsea and Liverpool are better than that at the moment. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We're going to go for that one. Are we? Uh, here's one for the purists, Sunderland versus Hull. <gasps> oh god this i mean this is just like the worst game imagine being a journalist being told you've got to cover this and you've got to get up at stupid o'clock in the morning to go to sunderland mm. but here's the cool thing mm. if jermaine scores then he'll get 150 goals. yeah yeah. <laughs> and he'll be how how many other players have achieved that? <laughs> he'll be the eighth. Yes, he will. Yeah. To reach what? Uh, this landmark. This landmark, yeah. <laughs> Rumbled. Um, Watford versus Leicester. This is the Jordan Stewart derby. Do you remember Jordan Stewart? <sighs> the, no, I'm, I don't think I... That, was there not a Jordan Stewart that was a Liverpool reserve? Oh no, yes, but this is, this is back about sort of 10, 12 years ago. Oh, uh, then I don't. This was, a, yeah, he, I always, well, the thing is, I still think Jordan Stewart is a still up and coming young player, even though I probably watched him about 15 years ago, because I've not heard from him since. I still think mm. Julian Joachim's probably about 23, but. 
He still sort of imagine these players being quite young. When you read about players and he says so and so who's now thirty two, think is he? Yeah. Mind you, I feel that about myself. Yeah. I mean I, I, I'm older than I would believe I am. For a variety of reasons. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's getting there, isn't it? It's getting to that stage. <clears throat> uh hey, Robert Hooth can make his three hundredth Premier League appearance. Mm. Have you got that written down? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be the first German to get that. No way. Mm-hmm. But you knew that. Yeah, to reach this milestone. Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I I am going to go for a Watford win. This is a battle of the wily Italian managers, isn't it? Um. No, this is a battle of two teams that can't keep the ball. How does that work then? Does it just sort of stay in the centre circle and nobody wants it? No, that just means that it shuttles backwards and forwards between them and they don't, don't put any decent moves together. Mm. Um, I also think Watford, Watford sort of seemed to be pissing about with their formation quite a lot. You know, they, they were playing three at the back with quite high wing backs. Then they were five at the back. Last week they were four at the back. Um, it all does seem a little bit confusing. Mm. Um, but Leicester are playing like utter shite at the moment. So. And they've got Champions League next week, so they'll probably lose. Yeah. Yeah. It's whatever the pre hangover is. Is it in Terry Pratchett where you can, there's a, there's something about hangovers in Terry Pratchett where like they, you drink a, cup of coffee that's so strong that it puts you on the other side of being hung over or something it's yeah it's funny if you know what it is never read a terry pratchett book there's like three people out there nodding sagely (laughs) oh no he sold millions didn't he i just never ever read them he did so yeah i mean it's still the color of magic the first one is is still one of only two books to have made me laugh out loud Go on, what's the other one? Catch-22. Catch-22 Catch, Catch had... I literally dissolved into weeping hysterics in an English lesson once, reading Catch-22. You must have laughed at an Adrian Moore book. I've never read Adrian Moore. What? No. I've had this discussion with somebody else, possibly you. Is it? That doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, no, somebody, somebody else has definitely lambasted me for not... Um, uh, reading Adrian Mar. No, yes. Something to be rectified. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Spurs West Ham. God, there's loads of derbies for this. We'll go Matthew Etherington, shall we? Um, yeah, why not? Yeah. Unbeaten Spurs versus West Ham. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to go? I'm going to go for Spurs because they're at home. This is the BT Sport game, isn't it? Is it? Hmm. Okay. Um, it'll be quite good. Yeah, I, I think it will be quite a good game, actually. Um, I can't see anything other than Spurs winning. Um, I, they don't have a very good recent record against West Ham in all competitions, but they do in the Premier League. Um, it's, again, West Ham seem to be very, it's a, a misleading stat. Dimitri Payet has created four, four, 
40 chances, 4-0 chances, which is more than any other player in Europe's big five leagues. Mm. But West Ham are not scoring goals. They've only scored 11. Um, you know, it's like, I think a lot of their chances come from quite far out because they're not blowing good chances. They're, they're just not getting close enough to the goalkeeper to really work them. Mm. Um, I think the move to three at the back has worked for West Ham to an extent. Um, and, and I use back, which is good for them. I even uh, boxed out. <laughs> oh no, he was D'Angelo. <laughs> yeah, D'Angelo, yeah. Um, but no, I can't see anything other than a Spurs win. And, and they need a win, actually. Cause mm-hmm. they've, they've drawn a lot of late. Be... Yeah, they do. That's Liverpool's problem in 2009 when they lost just two games all season, but didn't win the Premier League. Right. And, and you can get into that thing of, of the sort of endless sequence of draws because that, you know, that's how Tottenham can be unbeaten, but only fifth in the table. They are fifth, right? Yeah. Yeah, they are fifth. Sorry. I, uh, I, I'm possibly, I'm just reading my friend's Twitter feed. So he's been getting DMs from someone saying, um, do you want to see my gentleman's part? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> why would you, why would you fucking, do that. I've got no idea, but, um, yeah, someone sent her a tweet asking that. That's bonkers, man. It is. Especially because you're in the risk of being laughed at after you sent it. That's, um, God. Yeah, I would never do that. Yeah, no. People, eh? Um, Sunday is the Ross Turnbull derby, Middlesbrough Chelsea. <laughs> Ross Turnbull. <laughs> was he not at one point the great white hope of English goalkeeping? He was, wasn't he? Along with Richard yeah. Wright. Bless Richard Wright, though. Well, Ross Turnbull could always have a career as a Steve Harmison lookalike afterwards. I always thought he looked more like um, uh, Peter Kay's not very funny sidekick, who now does that rather obnoxious dating show. Oh, Paddy McGuinness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Arthur Cranker looks a bit like Rafa Nadal. Yeah, I could see that actually a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Chelsea on this one. I think uh, there's You're absolutely... really sticking your neck out there. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see any reason not to. There's literally no reason not to. No. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I actually quite like Middlesbrough, but I they're just not well, good yeah. enough to beat Chelsea. No, I hope. Do you know what I'm really, them. really pleased about? Mm. And this, this is this is the sort of levels of, of geekery that I can get into. Last last summer, I wrote an article for Umax about how do you replace N'Golo Kante, um, and I picked I think five players who who could possibly step into that. One of whom was Martin Darun. And I don't think anybody had particularly heard of Martin Darun at that point because he was a sort of, I mean, he was a mainstay of the Atalanta team, but Atalanta isn't exactly the kind of, you know, a Serie A draw in any meaningful way. And he's been playing really, really well for them. Um, is there a Will Smith song about him? About Martin Darun? Yeah. Is this a clever joke that I don't get? No, well, no, I'm just thinking, is the miserable fans sing Boom Boom or something? Oh, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's good that. That's probably, if there isn't, there fucking ought to be. (laughs) 
Oh, there's loads. Do you know what you sort of have the Pavlovian response? Yeah. If you when Damien Duff used to play, I always used to do the home at beer thing. Why? Duff. What's his name? Duff. Oh, that's the name of the beer. Yeah. Divock Origi. I always sing. He's my baby. Okay. Uh, Guidolin, Francesca Guidolin. I always just sing my Guidolin as well. It's the cold winter nights must fly past. Not a lot happens in Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's another one for the purist. Monday night is West Brom versus Burnley. Mm. Um, a toss up for the two worst games of the uh, period, right? I mean, they're really, they, they've they've basically picked four of the five least creative teams and pitched them against each other. They have, haven't they? I'm going to go. John, I quite like Sean Dyche, so let's go Burnley. Let's go Burnley. And Nasser Chadley's injured as well, so let's go Burnley. I and I think Tom Heaton is the player of the year so far. Yes, apart from that one that went between his legs the other day. But yeah, that, he's playing that, for England, that, so England so far, matter. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't count. Um, right, well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Uh, thank you ever so much for joining us, Alex. Thank you very much for having me. If they want to follow you, how do they do that? Uh, it's at AFH Stuart on Twitter. So Stuart with an EW. Stuart with an EW. AFH yeah. Stuart EW. There's a picture of me and a dog. You can't miss it. Oh, there we go. Mm. Um, at manandthepost.com or at manandthepost is the Twitter account and also the Instagram account you can um, get a copy of Mark's Football Pink um, because issue 14 is still available so he's um, he's still giving away some of those well not giving away you have to buy them Yeah, uh, you have to buy some and of those you should buy them oh you should definitely this is a Scottish Fit Bar special this one um, World Football Index we are now hosted by as well that's uh, at World Football I is the Twitter account for that. They do all sorts of podcasts on things from South American football to Spain, Italy uh, and Russia podcast started this week. So give those a follow. Um, you can download us from Acast or from iTunes. Uh, if you subscribe on iTunes or follow on Acast, they'll fall automatically into your um, smartphone. Uh, you can review us on iTunes as well. Any five-star reviews are more than gratefully received. Ross and the guys will be back on Sunday after their um, fantasy meal dinner party thing they did this weekend um, thank you as much Alex we shall speak again soon we shall speak again soon and always remember to keep your man on the post <laughs>